Okay, fantastic. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here. Tune in to listen to this uh, conversation. It's going to be so interesting. And I would like to introduce you to my guest today, Steve James. And he is, in my, uh, in my opinion, he is the meditation guru. Okay. <laughs> Hope you don't mind me saying that, Steve. Uh, Steve and I met about two years ago and we crossed paths, um, you know, doing this program together. And uh, I had the opportunity to, to see his work and what he does and what he offers. And, and then we kept in touch. And, and then recently, last year, I, I um, noticed that you was going uh, in the Facebook group live, sitting for an hour. And you encouraged everyone to do this in your face, Facebook group, which was, for me, it was incredibly inspiring. And ever since I wanted to do something with you, like you inspired me to really, to be honest, uh, first time I was saying this to you, Steve, you actually inspired me to really kick this off because it was something that I really wanted to do with a group of people. And, and that gave me courage, like you just literally being you and just, you know, live streaming yourself to the world for an hour, just sitting it was so inspiring and it gave me the courage like look this is how we do this this is how we do this this meditation practice together and let the world see you you know meditating so that you can lead by example and let that inspiration you know follow for the uh, other people so firstly thank you so much for being here and i want to just say that you have a, a website called guruviking.com you have a podcast where you interview some, some of the greatest, greatest people. I have had the privilege and, and pleasure to listen to some of those. But you can walk us through all of that you do at the end, maybe towards the end, or you can just give us a quick description, quick intro in what you do. And you're in the UK right now, and you're on a boat, which is so interesting. So if you can tell us a little bit about your background so the, the members can get to know you a little bit, and then we can dive into the conversation. Yeah, certainly. Well, that's very kind of you to say so many nice things at the beginning. <laughs> that's very nice. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting thing on my Facebook page. Uh, my Guru Viking Facebook page, I do that. Um, during the summer break, uh, I think, which is what you were talking about, I was doing that each day and I still do it most days. It's very interesting to live stream. There's no instruction there. I think that a lot of times when people do meditation lessons or classes or something a lot of its instruction guided meditations like a guided hypnosis sort of thing and i think that's great but um in those live streams there's no instructions there's no guidance there's just the joining in together you know doing whatever technique it is that you like and uh i like i like that i think there's something about that that's interesting but my story well what i do well yeah i mean I, as you say i do a podcast I travel all around the world teaching meditation movement, uh, working in also in the relational realms, working with high performance uh, people as, as well as just groups of general population people. So that's that's um, that's what I do. It's sort of the intersection between meditation, movement, um, relationship, uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about just literally going live and sitting down with yourself. <clears throat> because you wanted to show people that listen you know you don't need to go to retreat you don't need to follow someone's instructions and this is what really inspired me because <clears throat> this is this is what i'm passionate about 
this is the exact thing that I, I am so passionate that people should be able to meditate on their own. <clears throat> and I have this, uh, this uh, concept called self-agency. Uh, I would like to take your thoughts on that. Self-agency is, is the term that we use when people have their own power back and they unlock their own uh, inner wisdom through their own exploration into meditation. This is, I mean, the self-agency applies to many things in life, but I use it specifically this, for the silent meditation so that people can have the courage to sit down with this, themselves and really explore the meditation tool and find their own way without someone leading them, without someone telling them what to do, without someone um, you know, giving them instructions like you said. And this is why it's so beautiful. And this is the reason I wanted you to come here and, and tell us what does that look like? Because you've had such a long ex, you know, time in exploring, I'm sure all kinds of meditations, because we do, don't we? Because we have now access to many types of meditation. <clears throat> don't get me wrong, I love the guided, I love the, all the other meditations that are out there, which I have done before and exp uh, explored. But it, I always go full circle and come back again to the silent meditation i go out explore 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 and then i come back and and then <clears throat> where i started with the silent meditation it's almost like silent meditation is my hub my home my foundation everything grows from there kind of thing and this is the reason that i really really want to talk to you again and again i'm saying because this for me is so big and from what i'm observing in the online space recently that um, there are so many meditation groups like this one <clears throat> and there are so many meditation challenges that are out there and the most popular one happens to be the guided meditation Steve so what do you think why do you think that is in your opinion and what do you think of the self-agency concept you know having that power back and then being able to have the you know the, the resilience the, the courage um, whatever you want to call it in us so we can do this on, on our own. So I would like to take your thoughts on that one. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know, but meditation is a word that means many different things in different contexts. And usually what we take it to mean, I think in modern usage, it's common, you know, most commonly refers to a collection of techniques usually drawn from the world's spiritual or religious traditions, although not always, that involve some kind of deliberate use of attention to cultivate various traits or states like peace or focus or bliss or intimacy or you know insight and wisdom, something like that. Um, or you know de-stressing and so on. So it's really, really broad. There are so many different techniques. There's some active techniques, some more passive and relaxing techniques. I mean, people who first get into meditation, when you first uh, you know, get into it, um, I think one of the first things you will discover is that there are many, many different and occasionally apparently contradictory um, techniques <laughs> out there. You know, and that's, that's because there's many different kinds of people and many different sorts of things. It's a little bit like weightlifting versus jogging. They're both forms of physical fitness, but weightlifting, if you put 100 people in a weightlifting regime, they're going to have a certain adaptive response. And if you put 100 people, physically speaking, if you put 100 people on a jogging regime, they'll have a different adaptive response. 
both are fitness trainings, but quite different techniques. With the you know with the weightlifting you get you get stronger and so on, and with the jogging you perhaps improve your cardiovascular health and so on. But you're not going to put on a lot of muscle doing jogging. If you want to put on on a lot of muscle, you should probably do some strength training like weightlifting. Um, so it's a little bit like that with meditation as well. Some uh, uh, emphasize concentration and focus. Others letting go and relaxing. Others emphasize generating states of bliss for various purposes. Um, and of course, they all have certain things in common, but they have a lot of differences too. And I think that's the case with the guided meditation versus not guided meditation approach. Why people like guided meditation is it helps you, keeps you on, on track, keeps you on track with, if it's done well, with a good technique, reminding you, you know, helping you to direct your attention. Really good, I think, for learning a technique. Um, but it's not necessary once you've learned the technique, whatever your technique is. If your technique is focusing on the breath, you don't necessarily need somebody to guide you with that. I mean, when you've done three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, however many guidances, um, you, you could just do it by yourself at any point. Um, but, uh, you know, or if you're doing the sort of meditation technique where you don't have any technique, which is itself a technique. In Tibetan, they call it gome or non-meditation. Um, or just sitting, for instance, you just sort of sit there and just relax and you don't try to focus on anything in particular, you just let it go. It's also a kind of anti-technique technique as well. But in any, in any case, um, it's nice for the guided meditation because it, you know, it's a bit of company, it's a bit of guidance, can maybe improve the quality uh, of your sitting practice, uh, but it's not necessary. So I think that's why people like it. But um, it's it's not can necessary. It's nice. it, oh, go on. Yeah. Can we call it um, maybe like a way to escape? <laughs> you know, way to way to escape doing the work so that you you know you again relying on outside sources. Not all the time. I'm just saying, like if you do this, if you choose to, if you choose to practice a guided meditation, absolutely, you know, like I said, I love it because I I also practice, but. Uh, to make that your go-to meditation all the time, do you think there's something could be explored there? Well, uh, you know, it's like to go back to the fitness analogy again. You know, there you could. Well, actually, let's do a different analogy: music. Okay, music lessons. So often, uh, when I was a child, anyway, people could have music lessons in school, and I know that's true in some parts of the world and so you, you could do that and lots of people I know started some musical instrument when they were young and eventually what happens most people quit you know why do they quit well often they quit because I think it's a lot of reasons but I think it's it's taught uh, can be taught rather poorly M children love music if you ever see a child when you play music, they dance, they sing, they like it. They react strongly to music, but they hate piano lessons. Why is that? Well, it's because I think sometimes the piano, the way that the piano is taught depends on the teacher, but the way that the piano is taught is a sort of direct, efficient way to acquire mechanical skill, a sort of straight line to the acquisition of a certain hand independence, reading and so on. And it's quite can be quite dry. If you survive it, and you you come out at the end with 
a certain degree of you know of mechanical skill and an ability to read. Um, uh, but what often is lacking is a sense of context. How does all this sort of boring, you know, uh, mechanical stuff relate to music, which as a child I love so much? That connection isn't made clear. A great, uh, some, so it's, sometimes it's better. So most people quit, even though you could say it's a good and direct route. A good, um, a good teacher will, in a certain sense, fold the mechanical or technical development into, into a, a lesson format or a way of presenting the information that um, never loses touch with, the, with fun, with context of communication and enjoyment. Uh, that, mu is, that is what most people really love about music, you know. And so sometimes the long way around, the scenic route in acquiring a skill is uh, better because you'll keep doing it. There's no point having a very efficient way of playing, learning the piano if you never do it because it's just so dry. Sometimes a wetter route, a more scenic route, okay, it'll, it'll take you maybe longer. Um, it's the longer round, sort of, but it's a way that you'll enjoy as you go and you get nourished by the process. And so sometimes um, I think that's good. So if somebody is finding that they really enjoy guided meditations and they're sitting in their guided meditations and they're practicing regularly, and they're doing what the meditation guidance is telling you to do, to point your attention here and point your attention there, then I think the benefits are still going to be there. Of course, there'll be certain things they'll, they'll lack. Um, it's like when you go to a gym, you have a, if you have a personal trainer shouting at you all the time, you know, uh, telling you what to do, well, you, you'll get in shape that way. You'll get in shape that way. But you miss out on a certain kind of, as you say, self-agency, self-determination. If you walk into a gym without your personal trainer, you might not you might not be like, what do I do? What do I start with? You know, but uh, so I think sometimes uh, people should do what suits them and enjoy it, uh, especially if it means they actually practice. Yeah. And then usually what I found in the music example, for instance, is when somebody gets, um, you know, eventually later on in your development, you find a reason to go back and do all those mechanical and technical things. So suddenly you think, gosh, I really want to improve my finger independence, or I really want to improve my reading. You come to a certain point where you voluntarily put yourself through the ringer of technical development. Um, that's, that's often the case. So and I think it could be the case for meditation too. You, you do your guided meditations or, or you do your um, whatever it might be. And eventually you're going to find yourself having to meditate without a guided meditation, let's say, or, you know, you're, or you, you'll decide you want to revisit certain core concepts in a more rigorous way. So I think if it's okay if uh, guided meditations are fine, if someone's practicing, if it gets you to practice, I'd say do it. It's better than not practicing. <laughs> yes, uh, I really love that response. Um, so it's like, um, this reminds me of uh, the self-development journey where and it's also like the unconscious conscious journey where you live uh, for a long time, you know, depending on the outside external guide and, you know, information to relate and resonate. And then suddenly once you become conscious, then you make different choices. It's a bit like that. I think it's so if we can, if we can maybe even kick off with a, a, a guided meditation and eventually find our way and explore our it's a process like I said it's a working process work in progress and you find your way either way how you however you you start basically and um, then you become more conscious of making those choices 
But coming back to the silent meditation, is this the one that you practice most of the time? Yes, I don't practice along with guided meditations myself. Um, although sometimes if I'm on meditation retreat with meditation, you know, if I'm attending a meditation retreat, they, they will do a guided meditation to introduce a technique. Um, but part of my regular daily practice, I don't practice along to guided meditations personally. Yeah. What does your meditation look like? Your daily meditation practice look like, Steve? Can you walk us through? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the thing I, that I always say about um, daily practice, and I found to be true for myself, is that consistency adds a kind of, it like adds interest, like in the savings account. In the old days, <laughs> when we used to have savings accounts where they had interest, you know, not like today, where there's not such good interest. But in the old days, you know, you put in whatever your hundred pounds a month to your savings account. And at the end of your, you know, when you retire, you don't just have the sum of all you've put in, there's interest. So now rather than whatever, a hundred thousand, it's like a hundred thousand and then the interest as well that's added on. And I think consistency is the thing that, that is like the interest payment, adds an interest payment to your meditation. So what I mean by that is if you're practicing 10 minutes a day for a, a month, 300 minutes, it's as if you've meditated, I don't know, 350 minutes or something or 360 minutes, something like that, because of the consistency, the consistency does something. And so it's better, I think, to do that little and often rather than a lot occasionally. And so I think given that there's a sort of something I like to think of as like a golden through line, a golden thread of consistency. And I always like to say it's good to do for your minimum, your golden minimum to have less than you think you could do. So let's say you think you can do 10 minutes uh, or you think you can do five minutes whilst you're building the habit. If you think you could do half an hour, do 20 minutes and leave some in the tank so that you have still enthusiasm and energy to come back to it the next day. Otherwise, what happens is you blow your meditation enthusiasm in the first few days by pushing too hard. And then oh, even the thought of sitting down again is just, oh, I don't know if I can do it. You know? And so that's, I think, really important um, yeah. to do that, to have a kind of amount that you can easily do. And then you're always able to do it each day. Uh, so yeah, for myself, of course, I've been meditating for a very long time. So my um, routine is, I think, a little bit more than uh, someone should start with. Uh, sometimes people, I think, set a minimum aspirationally. So you say, okay, I let me set a minimum that's a stretch for me, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. And you sort of struggle to meet the minimum. And, and the threat of failure is the thing that motivates you to, uh, to actually meditate. But the threat of failure... I think is not a good motivator in the long term. It can work in the short term, but in the long term, it's a little bit tiring. You, and then when you make your 30 minutes now, because of this is your strategy, you're going to go 35 minutes, 40 minutes, 40, you're always moving the goalposts. So you're always stretching, stretching. I find that if you have an easier amount and you focus on just really doing it well and doing it consistently, then you begin to develop rather than a fear of, of 
failing and you know not meeting your goal you develop instead this sense of sort of victoriousness this confidence you think yeah you know i did it you start to get this kind of positive feeling and that kind of basis is the basis upon which you can do more you can start with your enthusiasm say i'm nailing this five minutes a day i am i'm nailing it i'm going to add another five minutes in the evening not going to go too crazy because i want to maintain my golden thread of consistency that's primary paramount but now i'll do an extra five minutes at the end of the day or i'm going to make make it 10 minutes Uh aha and then maybe once a month you say i'm going to stretch it and do half an hour you know and that's going to be my kind of you know stretch or once a week or something like that you know you do a stretch like that nothing wrong with stretching but you shouldn't be stretching i think in your everyday practice your everyday practice should be easy something you can stand on with confidence and something that can withstand the pressures of life Sometimes your practice expands from five or 10 minutes to half an hour, 45 minutes. Some people meditate an hour or more each day, people who are very into it. Um, and, but then sometimes you lose a bit of enthusiasm or you have stressful circumstances that come in life. And then just as you inhale and your practice expands with enthusiasm, occasionally you have to be able to exhale and let your practice shrink with the pressures of life. Some people think that if they've worked up to 45 minutes a day and they're now there's pressure on their life, if they go back to 15 minutes, let's say, then they've somehow they're going backwards, but they're not going backwards because they're maintaining consistency. And so our practice needs to be in that sense, very flexible. So the minimum you do should be easy. And then if you do more than your minimum, you're on bonus time. And that's how you should think of it, in my opinion. Anyway, that's sort of like long lasting kind of meditation practice advice, I'd say. I love that. Thank you so much. I love the golden thread of consistency. That's beautiful. <laughs> if we think about, you know, everything in life, right, is the consistency. And I love right. the, the saying consistency is the mother of mastery. So for lasting um, habit uh, as meditation, I think uh, we encourage, I mean, in the group, we set as 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes silent meditation every day. Uh, however, I, I, I constantly uh, reinforce that. Look, if you can do 10, five, that's brilliant. That's a success, you know? And I love what you said. So this is one of the, mis I think I was just going to go into the misconceptions of meditation and you naturally kind of uh, come into that. And this is the biggest misconception of meditation they they see it as a goal that should increase 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 and get somewhere get somewhere and keep going keep going until you arrive somewhere i think this is like the biggest misconception in my experience anyway and um, and i love how you said you can you know as life you know throws at us the adversity and challenges there is going to be a time where you can do a one hour meditation and then another times 30 minutes and another times 10 minutes but that's mm. not the point that's beyond the point it's not about how much and how long and because i always say there is no right way or wrong way of doing but it's about can you do this every day can you bring yourself to sit down with yourself every day and this has been my guideline my, my own tool my own um, way of motivating myself can i can i bring myself to sit in my corner at least once a day and we'll take it from there sometimes i'm so open-minded like i i i treat it as a ritual and i because i i also like to do it in the same place all the time because i believe in having all the energy and and you know 
presence staying there when I'm not there. And uh, it's almost like um, my temple, my, my own temple. You know, I go in there and, and I close my, my eyes and I sit there and I think, okay, no goal today. Let's see what comes out. So open-minded, like I have no intention of, okay, I'm sitting down for 30 minutes and I won't get up. No, no, I literally bring myself because I know deep down in my heart that bringing myself to sit there with myself, it's already a massive success for me. And I know that I will embrace whatever comes next. And I wouldn't put timer on myself. I wouldn't put uh, pressure or, you know, any kind of stress on myself because that uh, for me, it's the complete opposite of what we are trying to experience and explore in meditation, right? Because paradoxically, meditation is supposed to bring the calm, supposed to bring the bliss or whatever we want to experience. Or maybe we'll, we want to work with what comes up, uh, what's lurking around, you know, within us and outside. So, so thank you so much for bringing that. And is there any other misconceptions from your experience, like, because you lead workshops, meditation workshops, you then attend meditation workshops. So looking back at your experiences, what are the, the most important or most um, ones, the misconceptions that are worth really mentioning so that people can be aware of those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's two or three that come to mind. Um, actually, something you said there, which is this idea of goals or no goals and you know, the, the, the recommendation I gave earlier about having your regular minimum be something that's easy um, isn't really related to whether or not you have a goal. Um, you know, it, it could be said that, you know, the, the sort of one of the results of meditation is being more comfortable being you, you know, being just being actually without necessarily need to be doing. But uh, but that may be an, a, an, a, an outcome of meditation or not. But a lot of people have goals when they want to meditate. They want to get more calm or more focused, or they want to improve their mental state in some sort of a way, or they want to obtain insight into you know, reality. This is classic reason to meditate. And a lot of people are, I think, motivated by pushing themselves and having a strictness about it. You know, I, I like to do that myself, actually, have a strictness. But that strictness is on the foundation of something that I can actually do regularly. It's like if you're going to the gym, people think that some people think um, I don't probably your listeners don't think this, but some people think that, you know, you've got to go to the gym and you just sort of push yourself every time you go to the gym and you should do more and more workouts and more and more weights and more and more and more and more. Uh, but of course it's not sustainable. You know, you need recovery in the, in the gym. You know, you need to keep a bit of gas in your tank. If you burn out your central nervous system or burn out your enthusiasm, well, you know, you're going to quit. And then you'll, you, won't, you won't even be a little bit fit. And your aim to be the perfect fit person, you've basically failed to even be a moderately fit person. So oddly enough, um, working with the psychology, working with the power of consistency, will get you further. This is why, what I talked about in the music analogy. We'll get you further and deeper. And whatever the goal is, is, is likely to get you more stably and securely to that goal than is the overextension of oneself. But anyway, the mis some misconceptions. One of the misconceptions is that you have to be sitting still to meditate. And of course, that's one way of doing it. But you can also move <laughs> if you want. Like you can do standing meditation. You can do lying down meditation. You can do walking meditation just going for a walk and applying a meditation technique. You can do the dishes meditating. In fact, you can meditate doing pretty much anything. 
but for the classic, if you want to do formal practice, which is formal practices where you're only meditating, you're not meditating, you know, at the same time as doing something else, you're, you're, that's your main thing you're doing formal as opposed to informal practice, which is interesting to do meditating well, you know, in the background while you're doing things. But in, when it comes to formal practice, usually laying down, sitting, standing in place, or walking, or maybe doing some gentle movement of some sort where the focus is on actually applying a technique. So it doesn't have to be in stillness. There's also sometimes, um, I think, a misconception that meditation is fundamentally about achieving a certain kind of state. And that you have to get into that state to meditate. For instance, you have to stop the thoughts of the mind or calm down or get blissful or something like that or get peaceful. I love that. I love that. This is my favorite one. I, I talk yeah. about this all the time. Please but go actually, ahead. Yeah. You, that's right. You can meditate in any state of consciousness, where it's, whether it's deep absorption of you know deep jhanic absor absorption states or even sur surface level consciousness, kind of walking around level of consciousness. You know, in the day we go through all kinds of states of mind we don't often notice it when you meditate very often what's happening is you're actually paying attention to what your mind's doing and you see you know you think it's the meditation doing it but sometimes all you're doing is seeing what your mind normally does anyway which is an interesting point but uh, you know you don't have to be calm to meditate you don't have to be peaceful or deep you may get peaceful or deep you might be calm but you don't have to and sometimes meditating when you're frightened or meditating when you're tired or when you're irritated can be very instructional to learn how to be with those states in a more relaxed way so that in the future when you get frightened or you get tired or you get uh, agitated you know the states better you're able to make better choices in those states this is one thing so i think um doesn't have to be in stillness uh it's not about achieving a certain state uh, or you don't need to be in a certain state in order to meditate you can meditate in any state um oh, those are those are some uh, those are some misconceptions. Brilliant. I love this because we already talked about this in the group as well. Oh, great. And, you know, yeah, you just uh, reminded me of uh, Dan Dupani. Uh, you, you probably know him. He's the, he's the famous monk <laughs> who he wants to drive Ferrari. Um, he has the, the three stripes of, on his forehead. You might have come across maybe. So he's, he spent his 10 years in a, in a uh, temple, a monastery. And, uh, oh, that was an aha moment for me to hear from him, actually. He said, people think that monks, us, you know, we meditate 24 hours a day. And he said, that is not true. At the beginning of the uh, building habit, at the beginning of the exploration, before you build your habit, he said, yes, you know, it might require for you to do prolonged hours just to kind of grasp what it is. But... Once you search, reach to a certain breakthrough or have some certain breakthrough or certain uh, level, what happens is that, like you said, Steve, uh, your whole day will support your 10 minutes meditation in the evening or in the morning. So instead of, instead of focusing on a meditative mind for the time, you know, preparing yourself for a meditative mind only during the meditation practice, he said, what happens is that you're, you, you become so good at being in the present that your whole day will support that 10 minutes of meditation that you might be doing. I thought this was really interesting because like you said, once you grasp this tool and learn how to bring yourself or stay in the moment, 
as these consciousness levels of waves that comes and visits you because i call them like i call them the levels of consciousness they're like visitors uh, like you said there are deeper states of consciousness that you might enter you might not know deep thinking there might be a, a different like when you're in joy state that, that's a different level of consciousness um, when there's like you know all kinds of there's there's you know probably infinite and they always visit us i believe that uh, during the day you know uh, you know awake hour i think they visit us and our job is to observe and acknowledge those moments you know it's like when i'm having a deep conversation with a friend i literally watch myself and observe myself going deeper and deeper and deeper and like and then suddenly like wow we've gone too deep here you know let's climb up a bit kind of thing so it's really interesting that you said that and so for me um i would love to, i mean i don't know how i would be able to do this or how i can put this in a message but it's not about preparing ourselves to that 20 minutes or the hour to achieve that meditative mind but also understanding that this is a whole this is a this is life itself this is i think for me meditation is the life itself that that we need to learn to be just be and just observe these things coming in and out of our lives and external you know challenges and adversity or or joy whatever visits us just kind of um have that mind to observe and be okay without like you said bringing fear or panicking or anxiety keep everything in check but also just to um understand that look we are just a being and meditation is not the tool that it's going to help us fight with the fear fight with the pandemic that's happening uh, fight with the mother in law and fight with the you know partner that is not understanding you or the children are not listening to you and your parents are old fashioned meditation is not going to like help us magically solve this problem it's 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 a whole dimension of it's a life itself right it's it's just a being and if we can just enter that state and learn maybe learn how to cultivate that state I think this is what the meditation for me anyway. And um, and how do you feel about that and and you know transitioning from this what is meditation for you and why do you even practice like what made you come to meditation what was that thing that pushed you towards meditation and how do you see meditation in your life in in the way that you practice. Yeah. Well, I know, sorry, I, I've gone on a bit um, long, a bit yes, too long on that one. Well, no, no, I'm not, I'm just thinking. Um, yeah, of course. Meditation, I think it's a bit like playing an instrument, music, something like this, in the sense that, you know, if you do it more, you'll get better at it. So there is a difference between sitting for two hours of meditation a day and sitting for 10 minutes. I mean, there is a difference. But the fact of the matter is, if you aspire to two hours of meditation a day, and because it's such a high aspiration, you never get round to it, then you're actually worse off than if you'd done just done the 10 minutes. Sometimes I say that you can you can be advanced in your mind which means very often you'll be a beginner in your practice 
or you can be a beginner in your mind and advanced in your practice. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're advanced in your practice and you have lofty standards for yourself that are, well, then what often happens is they're too high. The standards are too high. What is it they say? It's too damn high. Isn't that a meme? <laughs> it's, you know, the standards are too damn high. And um, like the meme says, and then you never end up, you know, you can't uh, reach them. And so you don't really get round to sort of doing what you can do. And the only way to get reach your lofty goal is to do what you can do until you get better and then do the next thing you can do and so on and so forth. And so you're advanced in your mind, you have great goals, but you're a beginner in your practice because uh, you can't, you know, you, you don't take the big steps necessary to achieve the goal because you're always thinking about how high the goal is, something like that. Um, your aspiration is too high. I love right? that. I love that. This is such a good articulation in, in the way that, you know. Yes, so and the other side of it is, this. yeah, and the other side of it is if you're a beginner in your mind, then you're likely to be advanced in your practice. And that uh, eventually, and what do I mean by that? Well, the beginner doesn't expect to meditate, meditate for two hours or, you know, levitate off the floor in the first week. You know, the beginner applies herself to the practice that she can do modest um, beginnings, but consistent, uh, expecting to be confused sometimes, expecting to not always know what's going on. Uh, it's just like anything. If you try to learn a language initially, you're going to be confused and stressed out and not quite understanding it. I mean, that's a natural phase. And if you can get through that confusion phase, which your beginner expects to have, because after all, you're a beginner, um, then you will emerge into a sort of new level of understanding, which itself, as you progress, will once again be overturned as you learn more stuff. And then what you thought you knew is recontextualized and you go through this cycle. And so, you know, that's why I think that it's not to say that two hours isn't going to make you, you know, improve your meditation more than 10 minutes, of course. In the same way that playing, you know, playing your drums for two hours rather than 10 minutes, it'll be a difference in skill acquisition. But, but if, if it's a, but, if you if you try to do two hours and and you don't do anything because it's too much then you you basically screwed yourself so you should start easy start simple get a foundation get something going that's powerful the person who does that it's a powerful place to be in practice and you can add to that or you can stay with that but you can guarantee that the person who does 10 minutes a day and actually does it is way better than the person who reads all the books. Like I got a lot of books here, all the books and, you know, does, you know, an hour every month or something, uh, you know, talks all about it and never really gets around to it. It's, it's meditation is one of those things. You've got to do it. Unfortunately, you do have to do it, you know, and sometimes, uh, so what was your other question about? Uh, about how, like you kind of answered that. And I love okay. the beginner's mind, beginner's mind. And then, you know, being more advanced in the experience. Uh, I love this because a lot of people, um, they, they practice four, five, six hours. I mean, there are retreats that, you know, one off retreat, you can go to uh, 10 days, like Vipassana, you can do the silent meditation for, you know, I did the seven days uh, with Joe Dispenza. It, it, it was kind of guided, but uh, there was a lot of reflection also. And like you said, I mean, being those, doing the, the, these meditation retreats and doing it for a very long time, um, if I was to compare to my daily practice of what I do personally in my own private home and in my own sp uh, space, it's, it's, it's nothing near like how I do and how I uh, explore this practice and how it's helping me live in my daily life. 
and how it's keeping me calm. It's, it's, it's beyond, uh, you know, what I could achieve in a very immersed, which again, I love, don't get me wrong. I love the immersion. I love the retreats. Um, I love the, you know, long, long meditation days, but uh, again, personal, like you said, everyone is individual. We all have different uh, goals. We all have different things that we want to achieve with meditation, but ultimately uh, achieving that being here in the now, like being in the moment. This is such a great conversation because I just saw, um, what was his name again? The Spanish guy, he's very famous. Jason Silva, this morning I saw him and he said, he said, uh, mindfulness has become a million dollar business <laughs> because with all the crazy Western, you know, evolution, he said, uh, people are now paying to learn how to be in the now in the moment. So this was really interesting. And I think for me, meditation does exactly that. If I can be in my day, and if I can be to a percentage of time, I can be present and observing myself, that's me done. I, I like that. So it kind of helps me making unconscious decisions, makes, makes me kind of unhooks me from my known unhooks me from my patterns unhooks me from uh, from what i know what i've learned and and now if i'm in the moment if i can learn how to be in the moment most of the time then it's going to help me make different decisions than what i'm used to my my habitual patterns so for me this is what meditation you know helps me do and you know it it's very interesting you said how do you feel about the 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 consciousness being levels of dimensions and and they come and visit us during the day and and because sometimes the another misconception people believe or is that if someone is wearing these spiritual clothes and crystals and if they're sitting and meditating uh, you know hours on end they suddenly see them as oh this person must have uh, achieve the highest highest levels of consciousness wow they must have figured it all out however like you said someone who is really committed to a 10 minutes a day but very consistent not wearing crystals not wearing you know all that stuff could have a deeper understanding have a deeper meaning and 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 because i don't believe that we achieve that level of consciousness um i think Achieving that level of consciousness is not something we, it's not a goal that we can work towards and get it. It's, it's, it, it's something that we grasp and it's something that we, we recognize. So I think that all of us in our day-to-day -day life, there are moments we dip into that knowingly or unknowingly. There are times, I mean, if like the listeners, if they can think about the times in the past there has to be times where they're so conscious and so awake and so aware of what's going on. So those are the times that we get visited by this deep awareness and consciousness. Instead of associating that with people who looks like, you know, the spiritual guides, I think embracing that we can all have this, this is available for all of us. And the more we meditate now, I mean, from personally, the more I meditate, the more I recognize this in me, there are times I catch myself when I'm in a deeper consciousness or awareness 
and I catch myself when I'm not and I know that I'm falling into my pattern and I'm falling into my habitual being of uh, the, the known, the, you know, the usual comfort, comfortable, um, what I know, you know? And uh, so how do you feel about that? That consciousness is only available to the, to the person who does five hours meditation a day? Or do you believe also that consciousness is something that we can all access at any moment, any, any given breath, you know? And, um, and it's, it's up to us that we can expand the awareness to, to, to grasp more of it or catch more of that consciousness, whatever that is for each person. I hope, it, I yeah. hope I'm making sense because I'm just throwing these. I'm, I'm, I'm also like bouncing, um, brain, brainstorming, bouncing my, my thoughts with you uh, just to catch what you're going to say. No, of course. I'm looking here for a poem actually that is about that. But I don't see it, but it's not that one. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I do think that, um, here we go. I think I found it here actually. Maybe I'll read it. Yeah, here it is. Yes, um, yeah, it's it's. I do think that all people, we're, the sorts of states one you know experiences in meditation are available freely. <laughs> you know? and yeah, people, you know, when you go walking in nature, uh, sometimes that happens. Or if you're having a deep sexual experience, uh, you know, or your football team wins, or something like that, or you have an amazing meal, or just whatever, nice concert, um, all kinds of you know, times that you, you suddenly find yourself in a state of very absorbed in your concentration, you know, in what you're doing or feeling relieved of the constrictions of regular life or you just see reality almost differently and have these wonderful experiences. Yeah, I think it happens a lot. To all of and, us, right? I mean, uh, yeah. yeah and, and what, at least and everyone how, I've ever asked, you, yeah. Yeah, how do you feel about, um, how do you feel about people assigning consciousness you know uh, higher higher levels of consciousness to people that walk around they look like they are you know embracing the spiritual yeah. aspects of life yeah how do you feel about that well um you know appearances can be deceiving uh the the difficult thing is of course that it's difficult to assess something that you don't have much understanding of so it's, it's actually a little bit, if we go back to the music analogy, um, uh, someone who doesn't play any sort of instrument at all, guitar or whatever, very often you're at a party and someone's hammering away at the guitar and there are people gathered around that person enjoying it and impressed. But maybe a, a more sophisticated guitar player would look and, and say, well, he's not very good. And he's, he's not you know, really playing it that well, but uh, people don't mind. And they don't really have, if you want, the flavor. Uh, they don't have the, the this distinctions to assess that so uh but similarly if that sophisticated guitarist sees a virtuoso play you could argue that that sophisticated guitarist has an even deeper appreciation and awe for the virtuoso because they know what it takes they like wow he's really good i mean really good and other people may be around saying yes he's very good so you don't understand you know i know how to play guitar this guy's really good, you know? And so I love what I mean, so I think that's the case, you know, someone's walking around in robes or they're walking around giving kind of spiritual vibe, uh, it, you know, they may have something or they might not. And it's difficult to tell. And that's why it's often advised that you, you know, withhold re reserve judgment 
and try to you know, be around someone for a little period of time to see how they act uh, over a period of time and to see how they act when they're not supported by their, the admiration of their followers and so on, if you can. And if you're lucky, you'll discover somebody who appears, who is this, is uh, the more you get to know them, the more impressive and, um, uh, you know, inspiring they are because, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like cooked all the way through. Uh, but anyway, no one's perfect. Here's a great poem about people who um, appear spiritual, but maybe miss the point of what it's about. It's called The Spiritual Athlete by, it's a Kabir poem translated by Robert Bly. And it says, uh, the spiritual athlete often changes the color of his clothes, but his mind remains gray and loveless. He sits inside the shrine room all day so that God has to go outside and praise the rocks. Or he drills holes in his ears. His hair grows enormous and matted, and people mistake him for a goat. He goes out into wilderness places and strangles his impulses and makes himself neither male nor female. He shaves his skull, puts his robe in an orange vat, reads the Bhagavad Gita, and becomes a terrific talker. Kabir says, Actually, you're going in a hearse to the country of death bound hand and foot so it's certainly the case there that sometimes you can have as they say in the music business all the gear and no idea <laughs> yeah. i love that that's so beautiful thank you for sharing the poem that's right. very very powerful indeed okay um james uh, steve sorry um i have one more question to you mm -hmm. if you could please share if you could just please share one golden nugget um, that could improve, because at the moment we have we have a great bunch of people in the group that are so active and they are, so this is how we do it. We have a daily countdown post and then they are required to do the two, 20 minutes uh, by themselves, 10 to 20. And then they do a little checkbox under each day which is beautiful to see because I, I, I'm literally overwhelmed how much people are really taking this uh, on board and really doing this, you know? Yeah. And um, so, of course, there's going to be struggles. Of course, there's going to be, you know, unknowns, feelings coming up because, of course, you know, um, I also believe that, you know, this pandemic is causing a lot of fear deep down. It's, it's kind of um, pressing all the uh, primal, you know, emotions that are uh, raising so I know that it's not going to be the easiest time to do the 21-day meditation challenge. I know there's going to be so much coming up. And please share us one golden nugget to make it so, uh, so that it, they can amplify and, and make it easy for them so that you know, they can find more comfort and, and ease doing this challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not sure if I can make it any easier, especially at a time like this. But... One of the good things about doing a 21 day challenge like Susan has set up for you is that there's an end point, which is 21 days you know, after you start. So that's interesting. You can leverage that end point. It's a sprint in a way, 21 days. You know, people talk about meditating every day for the rest of their lives and that's, that's a lot, right? You might end up doing that if you really like it, but 
um, the, the fact is with 21 days, you can really, you know, try it. And then, you know, at day 22, if you, if you think this sucks, you can just, you know, <clears throat> you Stop. can look back and say, well, I gave it a good go. And so I think that's really a smart thing to do is that is to leverage the limited period of time you've got and to under, um, yeah, to leverage that. It's like, it, it likes adds a bit of, you, you know, there's an end point to aim for. And, you know, and finally, just to say in a way that meditation, you know, to meditate, it's to, you know, exploring your sense faculties. It's always available right at your fingertips in the everyday sensations of being alive. You know, the seeing, the hearing, the feeling, everything you experience is an invitation from a meditation point of view to engage with life. So, yes. Um, it's so wonderful. And I think it's so wonderful. You're doing this meditation challenge and for 21 days, you're going to be braving. I'm talking to the people taking the challenge. You're going to be braving uh, the waters of, you know, engaging with life in a slightly different way. So um, I admire you a great deal and I wish you the best of luck. Oh my God. Thank you so much. You know, I love what you just said, engaging with life. This meditation is for me that, it's exactly that. It helps me engage with more. And also I just want to share your podcast with the listeners because you have been doing pandemic series, right? You have been talking to some of the greatest minds in the meditation or any you know, space of um, self-understanding, uh, um, self-development. And how long have you been doing this now? Is, has it been weeks uh, do you do this every day and where can they find this because you got you share some amazing you know information and help and assist them into you know this this hard situation that we're in mm. thank you yeah it's the guru viking podcast and you can find it on itunes or youtube or, or guruviking.com and yeah it's it's been going for a, a few years the podcast and i interview people um that i find interesting in the meditation world some really cool people and some people you haven't heard of as well, I think, which is part, I like to ferret out some unusual, you know, people as well. Uh, but lately, because of the pandemic, I've been doing pretty much daily for the last two and a half weeks, interviews, going back to all my old guests, pulling them out of retirement, out of podcast retirement, you know, and, and, and interviewing other interesting people as well, who have not been previous guests. And I've been asking them questions like how to deal with anxiety and fear and panic what to do if you get sick from a sort of strategies from a meditation point of view, um, what to do if you're facing death or you're, or you're, you're dying, because it's happening to some people, how to support other people who are sick and dying and, and what to consider there. And also how to deal with the isolation, the extended isolation, the seclusion that we're finding ourselves in at the very moment of this recording anyway, most places with either voluntary or compulsory lockdown with a voluntary or compulsory lockdown. So I'm asking them those sorts of questions. Um, and it's really fascinating to see so many different uh, perspectives um, from, you know, back to back to back to back to back. So that's the Guru Viking podcast. Brilliant. And now for you, what's next? Because um, you won't be able to lead workshops. You won't be able to go any, anywhere right now because no. you're in the UK and we are kind of voluntarily in a lockdown it's not so bad you know we don't have army or the police outside but so what's next for you steve in terms of the lockdown well i mean from professionally my 
you know, I'm still working with people remotely by the internet over Skype and so on and, and, and things like that. And I'm really focusing on trying to produce these interviews and to produce content exercises and so on to help people and support them through the lockdown. From a personal point of view, it's an opportunity while I'm still healthy. You know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm pumping out so many of these is in case I get sick. So, you know, I want to get it out of the door in case I become incapacitated. Um, so there's as much out there as possible before I get sick and who knows what will happen. Uh, but so for myself personally, it's an opportunity to uh, attend to all the sorts of things that one doesn't have time to do, traveling around the world teaching stuff, which is, you know, I have a long list of things I want to do, of books I want to read and songs I want to write and you know, interviews I want to do and meditation that I want to explore. And I mean, I don't know. It's an opportunity while I'm still healthy, while I still have my health and in this lockdown, it's I'm taking it as an opportunity to work uh, kind of actually harder than I did when I could actually go to work. <laughs> and that's beautiful because I think a lot of my friends and my social network is saying the same thing. Yeah. And and I know that a lot of people have been, for example, buying books, um, investing in courses, online courses. They haven't even touched. Um, they've been meaning to watch the seminar that recorded. They haven't had time. Yeah. There's lots to do. Yeah. If we can just kind of go, go beyond the fear of what's going on uh, globally, I think there's, there's, this is a great opportunity, like you said, to catch up with everything that we wanted to do. Uh, yeah. And that's I mean, why... Given, that's why yeah. Susan Gruner's meditation challenge is so cool because it's an opportunity <laughs> to, you. for you know, you to guide them through this, you know, I mean, I don't know everything about the challenge, but it sounds like a great opportunity for you to guide them and through exploring meditation. So it's great. It's definitely yeah. something to explore. It's easier than Rosetta Stone Spanish. That's for sure. Oh, oh for sure. Exactly. Or so fun. this is the, yeah, for 21 days, um, my, my motto is that keep everything simple because all my life I intentionally worked hard, worked so hard to make my life complicated. So now I am going backwards, working backwards in simplifying my life. So with this 21 meditation, my intention was to help people simplify as well. Before we come to an end of this conversation, uh, I'm also, I also wanted to take some co uh, questions from our listeners because I'm okay. just watching the feed. And everybody, if you are watching this, if you're here, please uh, post your questions in the Facebook group because look, I am watching you. So I will be checking them. Yes, I am. I'm keeping an eye on the group. Um, post your questions in the comments for steve please if any like any meditation any work that he does any anything that you curious of please ask them in the comments while we're here for the next few minutes i am now checking the feed so i can just catch your question but in the meantime steve i, I just wanted to um ask you one thing mm -hmm. um last words of wisdom please I've given you so many last words of wisdom. There's only so many last words of wisdom I have. One last. Um, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Simple, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'll take but, that. You know, but meditation is is a wonderful uh, thing to explore. It's really great fun. Uh, it's you know, it's sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's confronting, but often it's really really great fun. And um, it's something also that's very portable. 
your flight gets delayed, well, probably no more flights uh, for now anyway, or if you get stuck in lockdown or you're waiting for your, um, you know, food delivery or <laughs> whatever, you're on the toilet, you're dying of coronavirus, you know, there's always an opportunity to turn towards your sensory experience and embrace the mere fact that you're actually alive and able to sense things. And there's some, there's a magic and a mystery in that, even if what you're experiencing isn't always so pleasant from a certain point of view. The fact that you're able to experience it is, is a sort of a mystery, I think. Um, and that's what keeps me coming back to meditation is this curiosity about this wonderful mystery of being alive. It's so strange, yeah. so weird that we're actually alive. And so I think meditation really, uh, it's sort of, that's where my practice comes from is this, you know, mystery and curiosity. Yes, for sure. And I'm getting some questions for you, Steve. Uh, one question from Dimitri. What is the difference between a short versus long meditation? 10 minutes versus an hour or two hours, I think he says, yeah. What would you say? Right. Uh, the difference, I suppose he means what uh, are the differences? Well, it depends on the sort of meditation you're doing, um, I would say. Uh, but let's, and I made the point before that it's better to do 10 minutes than, and actually do it than aim for an hour and not do it because it's too long. But let's just assume that you're able to do either one. Uh, well, it, it really does depend on the technique you're doing. But generally, of course, uh, you're going to, uh, uh, assuming you're able to meditate for the hour, you're going to uh, get deeper in the technique, typically. Let's say you're focusing on the breathing uh, the sensations of the breathing. Well, you know, as you keep doing it and you keep coming back to the breathing again and again and again, and you're sitting there, as you sit, your body will start to, generally speaking, more and more relaxed. Certain relaxing happens. Sometimes the mind can settle down or at least change in the way it works or your relationship changes. Um, you know, it's, it's um, that sort of thing can happen. So those longer meditations, I think, there are certain settlings that can happen. Uh, that's one difference. The advantage of a short meditation is that you can have high quality because you only you don't have to have so much stamina. You know, you can do 10 minutes and really uh, try to make it good quality. The danger of a long meditation is that you sort of just sit there drifting off, you know, looking, staring to space. And maybe you only meditate three or four minutes the entire time. Most of the time you're just drifting off. So there is something to be said for quality over quantity. You know, but of course, if you're able to do long periods of quality meditation, then whatever it is you're, that the meditation brings, you'll tend to get more of it. <laughs> That's great. Beautiful. And another question from Eman. Uh, should we feel our emotions or practice letting them go when meditating? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, letting go... The opposite of letting go, you could say, uh, is pushing or pulling. Sometimes the word uses equanimity. Equanimity is the ability to feel something without pushing or pulling it. So let's say you feel a nice emotion. Maybe you want to hold on to it. Or you feel a negative emotion. Maybe you want to push away from it. Uh, in either case, from a meditation point of view, depending on the technique, but generally speaking, the trick is to 
feel whatever the thing is without pushing or pulling. So by letting go, you're letting go of the pushing or pulling on the emotion. The emotion itself might stay. It might get more intense. It might expand. You might feel lots and lots of activation in the body, or it might dissipate and wander off. But the problem often in a meditation point of view is not that you're feeling. In fact, when you meditate, you generally tend, you tend to get clearer and deeper feeling. Uh, but the problem from a meditation point of view very often is the grabbing or the pushing away, the struggling with what you're actually feeling. That's what creates the sort of suffering in a way and the ability to be with it, um, whether it comes or goes, whether it becomes more intense or, or it fades away. It's a little bit like an electrical circuit with high resistance. If you have a high resistance in the electrical circuit produces lots of heat and light, that's like suffering. But if you have a low resistance circuit with good conductivity, when the electricity goes through, it goes through without causing all these secondary effects. And that's the same with the emotion. You want to be like a really efficient, low resistance circuit so that the things you feel have an easy passage through your uh, being and not fighting against all this you know, tussling that's going on inside of you in relationship to, in relationship to it. There's something like that. Yeah. So yes, the answer is feel. Yes, definitely feel. I love that. That's my kind of thinking. <laughs> I love it. Feel it to heal it. Well, kind of. Uh, one last question, Steve. Um, can you define the depth of meditation? The depth of meditation. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we can just define meditation. How about that? Well, I, when I've said earlier that meditation refers to many different things in different contexts but generally these days we take it to mean some sort of um, exercise or technique usually drawn from some spiritual traditions at least originally or not necessarily and to do with directing the awareness or using the awareness or some, something like this to achieve certain states and traits um, that was you know what I was talking about there and so different people will define it differently depending on their point of view and I'm trying to put a definition in place that encompasses all those different and sometimes contradictory approaches the depth of meditation it depends who you ask um, it depends who you ask some people would say uh, that the depth of meditation is enlightenment and then they will argue about what enlightenment is some people mm -hmm. say that the highest point of meditation is to go you go on this tremendous journey of great distance and then when you finally arrive at your destination, you realize that you're arriving at the place you always were the entire time. So you go on this long, big journey to come back to the place that you actually were. And as T.S. Eliot said, and to know it as if for the first time. And at one time a Zen teacher was asked, um, what is enlightenment? And they said, he said, well, I guess you could say enlightenment is the passing away of the distinction between enlightened and not enlightened. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for the answer. Uh, okay. Steve, uh, I, my friend and I, you know, Kadel, he's uh, in the group as well. And uh, he's, he's also very interested in the anything to do with mind concepts. And we have this joke. He's got this meme. Uh, there's two seagulls, I think, sitting on the side of the, uh, you know, uh, see and they, they're talking to each other and one of them says 
what one of them says what do you think where, where, where do you think we're going and uh, and then the other one says um, going to get some chips on the pier or something like that and but the, the other one was he he meant like like where we're we going in terms of like life existence yeah. and then the other one goes Hmm. I still think it's got it, it has to do with chips somehow kind of thing but I love this I mean it's so cool Kadel can probably post it in the in the comments it's so cool and uh, and also uh, once I read on an article that um, the Zen masters when they were asked what is enlightenment um, they just chuckled and had some tea <laughs> so this has become like the biggest joke for us and then when we start, um, when we start to lose ourselves in the in the big questions, uh, we just kind of use these memes of spinning tea and and laughing out loud. <laughs> it's so cool, and I love that what you just said there. Um, it's true. We don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we hear, we feel, we exist, we embrace. Well, some people might know what it is. I think when the Zen master sips the tea, he's not saying the question was not right. I think it's a very good question. The, in the Zen tradition that I think he's demonstrating the answer to the question. That's something that they Ooh, do at Zen very it. often. Is they, they will demonstrate or embody the answer. So they're not answering it in the way that you'd expect it to be answered in, which is a conceptual thing, which you have to filter through your concepts. You have no way of really understanding something that you don't understand. But when the Zen master picks up the tea and drinks it, if you pay very close attention, if he's a, a, a real master, chances are he's attempting to communicate through that gesture. He's not saying you're an idiot, you shouldn't ask that question. He's saying this is a different way of answering the question, a direct, more direct kind of a way. Yeah. Oh my God, I love this. Oh my God, light bulb moments, aha moments. Thank you so much. This is beautiful. And you are right. Whew, I'm going to have to have a moment with that. This is so beautiful. I love that. Okay. Thank you for your time. I know we've gone over the hour, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we get all of your wisdom and we get you to talk about meditation. We'll probably have another conversation very soon. I'm sure of that. Uh -huh. Thank yeah, you so much thank for, you for being inviting me. Thank, thank you. you. It's been me. fun. It's been pleasure and it's been great. And it's been great seeing you again. Yes. Um, keep, keep doing, keep doing the work because I love your work and keep, keep sitting on the live stream because I join you all the time. Yeah. I always like as soon as I see you, you pop up on my feed like Steve is going live for a one hour sit I'm like quickly grab my show I'm like sitting and I'm just like oh this is so beautiful it's just knowing that someone else is doing this with me somewhere in the world mm -hmm. it just brings a beautiful presence and and I always jump in whenever I see you. so thank you oh thank you very much and good luck everyone on your 21 day meditation challenge Thank you, Steve. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. This was an amazing conversation. Hope you've taken out a lot of nuggets to apply into the next, you know, coming days for your challenge. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here. It's been beautiful. I'll see you guys on the next conversation. And Steve, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for now.